Let's take your Bibles and open them up to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. This sermon this morning was supposed to be where we're supposed to be able to cover discipleship on all of life in just one Sunday. But the more we dived into it, the more I realized, guess what? We need to do this in two Sundays. And even we could probably spend the whole summer on it. And we're going to return to it in the future. But today we're going to be covering the goodness, excuse me, the greatness and the gloriousness of God. Psalm 107, a passage that I think depicts both very wonderfully. Psalm 107, if you take your Bibles and kind of hold it in the middle and open it up, you usually can land in Psalm and then turn to 107. Starting in verse 1. For he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. And let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous work to the children of a man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. They had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor and they fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And he brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze, and he cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and he delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Father God, I thank you so much for the credible lavishness of your love. You poured, out it, poured it out upon the Israelites over and over again and you poured out upon us daily. Oh, Father, Thank you so much for the right to be called your children, to be a part of your family, to celebrate, to laugh, to have fun, to experience joy, a joy that is everlasting, a joy that 
fills our hearts, a joy that is not leaving us empty or wanting, but Lord, a joy that is amazing and everlasting. Lord, we are so excited to be gathered here this morning. We are excited to be celebrating who you are. Lord, we live this light not because of who we are, but because of who you are. Strengthen our hearts and our minds. Prepare us to receive this message this morning. And pray this in the almighty name of the Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Then the tourists start coming in and everything kind of slows down as I get busier and less impatient. Less impatient? <laughs> well, more impatient, less patient. Oh, okay. Yes, I, I hear you. Patience is a challenge sometimes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and then I was going through Safeway and the tourists are honking at each other, fighting over parking spaces. <laughs> Yeah, at least it had some comedy. Yes. So how'd it go yesterday when you went to an acting? Good. It was the first time I'd ever done something like that. I went with a friend of mine who was having some um, scans for um, some medical stuff that was going on, and it just neat to be able to spend the day with her. or got delayed and whatnot because the, the framers were behind and the drywallers were behind. Well, it's hard to be a very good disciple when I'm getting upset at them for being behind, which some of it's their, their issue, but sometimes it's just it was rainy that day and it's extra moist and I don't know, I, I, I play, don't do a very good job at it. I can to do a lot better. Yeah, you know, I, I really think more and more how we are discipling people to something or someone in all of life. And I used to think it was more my own life I was living, but um, I'm either discipling people to Christ or not. Sometimes it's not more than I would like it to be, but um, I think it's important to, to think about. I think probably more than anything else, I disable people to productivity. Mm, that is <laughs> to getting things, yeah, getting things done on time and getting, uh, you know, being yeah on time and right schedule and stuff like that. And it's it's my schedule, so it's uh, sometimes it's realistic, but sometimes it's not even realistic in a good scenario. Great, uh, great thoughts. How do we, how do we be discipling in all of life? Yeah, it's hard because 
I stopped thinking about discipling people and more thinking just about that productivity and getting things done. And I heard someone say to ask the question, what's next? And I suppose that's maybe a starting place as we're praying and asking the Holy Spirit for guidance, like, hey God, what's next for this person or this situation? And I'd like to do that more in my life too. Yeah, I, I, especially when I get busy, I'm so worried about what's now that I don't think about <laughs> what's next as much. But I think that's Very definitely true. to look at uh, what's more important, not just more urgent. Mm, absolutely. So yeah, I think, I think most people have a lot of room on the uh, whole discipleship. It, it sounds easy when you think about it, but living it's a lot more difficult. Yes. Absolutely. Moment by moment, day by day. Yeah, well, we'll have to keep working with each other and, and trying to get closer to it. Absolutely. With, with the Holy Spirit's help, not on our own. Yeah. <laughs> yep, a lot of prayer. Yeah, yeah if I were uh, really understanding how great God was, I wouldn't have to worry about keep it on my timeline so much, I don't think. that Just being able to rest in that he is in control. Yes. That moving from unbelief to belief in every area of our life, it's its a hard thing. I, I, think, I think I've solved one area and then you know, I find a new area or I realize I need to go back and work on that area more. Never ending. It's, it's easy to say God's in control and think that, but to live it is a very different aspect. Yes. How's that working? <laughs> it seems to do fine right when I'm in the, in the uh, you know, thinking about it, but then as soon as I get busy and start doing other things, I take over again. I hear you. It's a struggle. Constant giving it back over to God. Better at taking it back again. <laughs> I think we all are to some extent, but that's the part of discipleship that is. I need people to remind me of the truth of the gospel, and I love how you do that, and other people do that for me because I certainly need help in that. Yeah, it's it's something that you have to keep coming back to. You can't just. Uh, can't just hear it once and be there. You need people in in your life to constantly keep reminding you and keep showing you. Yeah, that's what's nice about both our gospel community and other friendships and people in our life is people keep reminding us about leading mm -hmm. us back to Jesus. Yeah, it's kind of one of the things where you, you can't just do on your own. We have to do it together. Absolutely.
God in our hearts and in our lives. And He's the one that makes us more like Him. Can it just be it? It would sure be nice, wouldn't it? I don't know if you caught that last question from Lizzie. Was can't we just be fixed? Oh man, how I wish we could. This morning we continue in our series on life on mission, and we've been talking the last few weeks about discipleship specifically. And we said a couple weeks ago that the mission of the church is to make disciples that make disciples. As it was stated in the video today, you know, it sounds easier than it actually is. It's a struggle, and it's something that takes a lot of focus, a lot of intentionality, and a lot of effort. But it's so incredibly rewarding and powerful to be a church that judges not by how many people that come in on a Sunday morning, but a church that says, you know what, we want to see people's hearts and lives changed for the power of the, by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in turn, we go out and make disciples because we can't do anything else but be obedient to Jesus Christ and tell others about him and live it out in front of others. And one of the ways in which we make disciples, we talked about last week, is a powerful way to make disciple is by reaching someone through their head, their heart, and their hands. As we tell people about Jesus Christ and talk to them and inform them of the scriptures and the Holy Spirit touches their lives, they begin to learn they begin to understand and hear the gospel message. They begin to hear the power, the might, the majesty, and the glory of God. And they begin to have this basis of knowledge and understanding. But as we talked about last week, just knowledge by itself without bringing the heart and the hands doesn't create a motivated disciple maker. In order to have a motivated disciple maker, we also want to reach the heart. And that they begin to believe what they hear. You know, our, our schools are filled our chem, um, universities and higher places of learning are filled with people who, believe it or not, have read the Bible. It is a, merely a piece of academic literature that they say, well, it's a good read. And you read it, and, but there's no belief associated with what they're reading. We have to, the Holy Spirit has to reach the heart of the person and change their heart from, the scripture tells us, a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And they begin to take hold of and believe what they've learned. But in order to create a disciple that is a powerful and passionate follower of Jesus Christ, they've got to experience what they've learned and what they believe. And they've got to be able to tangibly see it in action. When we see and we experience God's work in our lives, we see and experience that God, today we're going to talk about how God is great and how God is glorious. We can sit here all day and I can tell you about from the scripture. We can go through a hundred different scripture references easily on God being great and glorious. And we can study those all day long. And you can walk out of here having spent the whole day in a lecture on learning about how God is great and glorious in the scriptures. But if it doesn't impact your heart and if it doesn't change how you're thinking and believing about God and being able to experience that or hear it from your own story, you're... All you're doing is getting head knowledge, and it's going to be quickly blown away. So we desire to make mature disciples in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit through reaching head, heart, and hands as discipling. But how much of life is impacted by discipleship? The question should give the answer, all of it. 
We should resound with great excitement, say all of life should be hit and impacted by discipleship, by God discipling our hearts, changing our hearts and lives, and by us discipling each other. But the problem is, is we struggle in this. We're going to spend from now until Jesus comes back or until he takes us home being discipled in all of life. We're going to have areas that, which we've stiff-armed God, we've walked away from God, we've kept God from in our hearts and in our lives. And we've said, you know what, God, you can have all of me up to this point. Or, God, I believe in you, all of you up to this point. Or, and we have different areas of our life where we're struggling in God discipling us completely. When I talk about being fully exposed to God and being discipled in every area of your life by God and by other believers, how many of that gives you a little tickle of fear? I, I mean, I'll be honest, I was really happy to see first service was very honest and almost every person in the, in the congregation raised their hand. It, it's kind of scary to think about this vulnerability. It's scary to say, how do I overcome my fear, my self-preservation, my self-reliance, my independence, my codependency, my agenda, my perceived needs and wants. To be discipled in all of our lives means that we take our lives and we present them fully before God and say, God, I don't want to hold anything back from you. And we also turn to our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ and we say to them, I don't want anything in my life to keep me from walking obediently to God. So I need you walking alongside of me and discipling me. And pointing some things out because sometimes we're quite blind to where we're struggling. And we're quite blind to our areas in which we have held back from God. But our brothers and sisters can see what's going on and encourage us. So we can be discipled in all of life, not because of who we are, but because of who God is. How many of you believe God is trustworthy? Amen, right? God is trustworthy, right? And, and we can sit here and see, be excited about who God is because God has proven himself faithful over and over and over and over again. It's a wonderful study of all of God's promises in Scripture and how he's fulfilled them. And it just fills our hearts with joy to know how reliant God is. If God is so trustworthy then, why do we still struggle with him letting him reign in completely in our lives? Because we're human and we're still battling the flesh. Today I would like to give us the first of two of four G's of God that will begin to help us in God discipling in our friends and our neighbors and brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ and discipling each other. The first this morning is God is great. We're going to also cover God is glorious God is good and God is gracious. We could spend a great amount of time on each one of these. And this, I'm telling you right now, we're going to come back to this. A year from now, a year and a half from now, two years from now, we're going to continue to come back and revisit this. We're going to continue to come back and talk about the greatness, the gloriousness, the goodness and graciousness of God. Because let's be honest, we get our lives off track, don't we? We get our lives misaligned by chasing other things and, and questioning these things. And we need to be reminded. We need to be continually reminded that God is great. God is glorious. God is good and God is gracious. 
And that as we understand it, we hold true to these things. And we put exclamation points after each one of these. We completely surrender our lives to God. So the first one we're going to look at today is God is great. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 4. In the New Testament, Matthew is the first gospel, followed by Mark being the second. When we talk about God is great, the life-changing impact of God being great is he is great so I don't have to be in control. Now, I don't know about you, but this is one of those ones that I go, ouch. Because the more I realize how great God is, the more I'm willing to surrender to his complete control in my life. Matthew chapter 4 Starting in verse 35, we have this powerful, powerful story of what Jesus Christ does with the disciples. Verse 35, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. On Thursday night, Celebrate Recovery celebrated two years in the valley. It was a great celebration. It was an awesome time of celebrating what God is doing, hearing some powerful testimonies take place. One gentleman who got up asked a question. How many of you would like to go for a boat ride with Jesus? Oh, a lot of hands shot up. Boy, a lot of hand. That would be awesome. Being out there with Jesus, being in the boat with Jesus, what a great experience. And he goes, well, but how many of you, when you envision a boat ride with Jesus, see glassy waters and pristine stars ahead or a beautiful sun coming up or going down and everything's just peaceful and calm? I think that's what I envisioned as soon as he asked the question. But he said that's not the boat ride we would get. Because, you see, folks, if we're in the boat with Jesus and the sea is calm and the stars are beautiful, I have zero trust. I'm very happy. I'm very calm. But it's when the seas become rough. It's when you can no longer see the stars to navigate by. It's when the shore is a long way off that we trust in God. The disciples were terrified. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus was with them. (laughs) And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the sea. He said, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? He's with them. He's with them in the boat. Nothing's going to happen to them as long as he's with them, right? Why have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and sea obey him? God is great. Jesus is great. He is the one who has all authority over his creation. Why? Because he created it. It's his creation. The next portion of the scriptures we see here, after he calms the storm, Jesus heals a man with a demon. Jesus has authority not only over creation, but over all the spiritual realms and authorities. Jesus has all authority. He is great. 
We also see Jesus is able to take care of the sickness and those who are dying. He's able to walk with alongside those and touch and heal and do amazing things. For he is great. But how often do we lose sight of God's greatness in our lives? This is a great drawing done by Soma Church. They did a series of drawings to help illustrate discipleship and discipleship in all of life specifically. You see, God is great means that I don't need to control my finances. I don't need to sit there and manipulate and control things. I can trust God with my finances. I can trust God with my money. When things get hard, or often first time, or when money gets tight, we get this knee-jerk reaction to, oh, I've got to take more control. I've got to have more of a plan. I've got to do this, got to do that. We're told to be wise. But most of all, trusting in the God who has got a perfect plan for us. You see, when the bank accounts are full and the reserves are looking great, who again are we trusting? It's oftentimes in our moments of crisis and dealing with our finances, we we begin to understand how great God is. In our relationships with our wives and our children, I see sometimes parents overly concerned To the point where they lose sleep at night, fearful, scared of their children being ill, children being sick, not being able to get into the right college, not being able to do certain things. And worry and fear and anxiety. And the question is, God is great. He's great, but except for when it comes to my kids. What about our time? Is God great? Do we give him our time or do we try to take control of every minute of every hour of every day? And we leave God with what? Whatever time we have left over, but it's sure not much. And a powerful example of where I've got a problem in this area. We were coming home on Friday night from a great time with some friends. It was late. We had to leave one of our vehicles um, at the Walmart parking lot, so we just drove one vehicle out. We were coming back, and Christy dropped me off, and Ethan jumps in the vehicle with me, and we're headed down the hill. It's 1030 at night. I was wanting to get to bed early so that I could get up early and work on the scout. I had plans. I had an agenda. I had things that I needed to get done. So getting home and getting to bed was top priority. So we were going down the hill to Chelan Falls, there's a teenage boy walking with a backpack. I sped right by. My wife, on the other hand, there's no way she's going to let that boy walk home in the dark. If anybody, she had the girls with her, if anybody had a reason to rush home and get them to the bed, it was my wife. Get the girls to bed and get them to sleep because they need their sleep. She turned around and picked up JJ and took him home. Showing, demonstrating to that boy, God is great. 
and that my wife doesn't need to control her time or manage it herself, that God will take care of those things. God will provide the rest our girls need. What about our hearts? Oh, how we try to control our hearts. We build up walls around them and to protect them. We keep ourselves safe. We get hurt, we get injured, and we don't want to get injured again. And so we build up walls and we control our hearts. We control our emotions. We control who gets in and we control who's let out. We control these things within our hearts and our lives. And we think we're in control, but we're not. And in so doing, we deny God access to our hearts. We deny God access. We, instead of putting an exclamation point at the end of God is great, we go, is God great? exactly what the serpent did in the garden the serpent brought to Adam and Eve questions is God great is God good is God glorious is God gracious is he really those things and we still battle answering those questions with emphasis and trust as we give every area of our life over what about our joy is God great in our joy do we hold back our joy? Do we hold back as we constantly see the world as, as gray? We constantly see the cup as half empty. Where are people more known for being down and out versus being joyful? And when we do it, when we feel that we have to control our joy, we don't want to let too much joy out or we don't want to be too joyful because if that happens, then we're going to get really smacked down. But God says, I'm great. Go be joyful as much as you want to be joyful. You don't have to be in control of that. I'm the great God. You can trust fully in me. Let your joy overflow. Let your cup pour over. You see, one thing we need to be realized is in any area of our life that we try to take control and manipulate and control, maybe it's even trying to take and control and manipulate God. Do you know we do that sometimes? We struggle with that sometimes. I've struggled with it in the past where I want God to do a certain thing in my life. And so I feel that I need to pray a certain way or I need to give a certain amount for tithes and offerings. Or I need to attend church. Or I need to do something. Or I need to give this time and this effort and this energy to this ministry or to this nonprofit. And if I do these things, God will do what I want him to and instead of God being great, I try to control and manipulate God. Brothers and sisters, whenever we struggle with that, whenever we take control, we're being idolaters. We're worshiping something other than the great God. When we take things back and we try to control and handle our situation and handle our time and handle our money and handle everything by ourselves, we worship ourselves because we turn to God and say, God, I have a better plan than you do. And instead of putting an exclamation point, proclaiming God is great, we put a question mark and we say, is God great? He must not be because I'm having to take things back under control. You see, this is an area 
like all of these areas, that I can't answer these questions on my own sometimes. I need brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside of me who are watching me live my life, who are watching me pursue God and watching me fall short. Sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I'm not aware of areas of my life where I have taken back control and I am not saying God is great. And I need my brothers and sisters in my life involved spending time with me so when this happens, they're able to turn to me and say, Scott, you're doing it again, man. You're doing it again. You're worshiping yourself and you're not trusting in that God is great. And I need those relationships in my life. Last week, when we were reviewing where we have been through this series. I stated that since God is the Father, we are family. And I found, as I said that, I found in the deepest part of my heart, I found myself pleading. Pleading with the church, pleading with you to be a family. You see, to be a family means we rely on one another. We're there for each other. We're going to go through the hard things together. We're going to talk about things and we're going to work on things and we're going to strive together and mess up and forgive each other. You see, we have fallen short. We have settled for this false family, oftentimes in the church today. We don't trust each other, only up to a certain point. We guard our hearts. We have walls of protection up. And in so doing, we don't exemplify the God who is great. God is great, so we don't have to be in control anymore. Which, quite frankly, feels really good. Because I don't know about you guys, but I get really tired of trying to control things. It wears me out. And I find that when I've entered into an area of sin in my life, boy, I've got to control things even more. Because now I've got to manage my sin as well as trying to look like everything else is okay. Brothers and sisters, I desire for us to be a family I desire for us to know one another and spend time together and enjoy life together and worship God together. I desire for us to draw close in relationships, call each other brother and sister and truly mean it. I find it way too often in churches nowadays when people enter a time of crisis, the first thing they throw out is their family. And that's the thing they need the most. Oh, God is great. This afternoon, we're going to get together at 4 o'clock. And the purpose of getting together at a congregational meeting at 4 o'clock is to talk about the, kind of the future and kind of the elders see a need for us to put a plan together for where we're going with our facilities and where we're going with, with what's going on 
the mission and vision of the church and, and how to handle what God has given us and how to be responsible and, and provide and take care of things. We're going to introduce you to Paul McNally, who's kind of been the guy that we've asked to kind of lead the way for us on this project. But brothers and sisters, I ask one thing. I want you to come to that meeting with this phrase on your mind. God is great. And because God is great, the sky's the limit on what God can accomplish in and through us. God is great. So let's make sure that we surrender those idols to him and surrender our idol of control. And as God reveals areas to us, let's be quick to confess and quick to repent because the Holy Spirit's gonna do it. The Holy Spirit's gonna reveal those things to you and you're gonna say, you can either say, well, justify it or you can say, God, I'm sorry. God is great and God is glorious. So we do not have to fear others. Proverbs, turn with me to Proverbs 29, 25. Old Testament book. If you go right to Psalms again, right to the middle, you can flip over one book. Psalm, Proverbs. Proverbs 29, verse 25. The fear of a man lays a snare, it's a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Maybe that's a verse you might want to write down on a piece of paper and stick in your mirror, on your, on your, in your rear view mirror of your car, or put it up in your mirror in your bathroom. The fear of a man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Since God is glorious, we don't have to fear others. Scripture tells us don't fear the one that can harm the body. Fear the one that can harm the soul. God is the one watching over us. In Romans we read that neither height nor depth nor any other created thing shall separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, God is glorious. He's amazing. He is powerful. He, look at the creation. What a beautiful indicator of how glorious he is. The lake, the mountains. We live in the most beautiful of areas. I mean, that's why people pay $230 a square foot for a view of the lake. I'm not one of them. But a lot of people do. Why? Because they want that beautiful view. And for the Christian, we look upon that, and man, God is glorious. Look what he's done, how beautiful of a creation he's made for us. And we look upon that. We should be able to look out and see all the gloriousness of God. We should see how God has, in Psalm 107, over and over and over, answered the prayers of those who were crying out. And redeeming them and restoring them and renewing them. Because God is glorious. His redemption, his love, his grace knows no end. Oh, it's exciting. Thank you. I don't know. But when we fear others, when we don't want to enter in relationships with other believers because of fear, we turn to God and we say, you are not glorious. 
so I have to protect myself. And we basically turn to God and say, I am more glorious than you are. And we don't want to do that. I know we don't want to do that. I know we want to see God and pursue God and, and put an exclamation point behind this and shout it from the mountaintops. God is glorious, so I don't have to fear men. God is able to, to take care of things and circumstances and situations. I don't have to worry about that boss who likes to scream, yell, and holler and threaten my job. Because guess what we know? We know God is glorious and he will take care of those things. We don't have to worry about that coach or that, that teacher in our school that, that is demeaning or is threatening or that maybe even picks fun at our faith. Because God is glorious and God gets the last say and he will watch over us and he will take care of us. We need not live in fear. We should not live in fear of the brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We should desire that family within us and not to be fearful of it. So we'll drop our guards, drop the walls, and allow people into our hearts and into our lives because God is glorious. But one of these areas are we struggling with fear in? Are we fearful about the money that's going to need it for tomorrow's bills? I was reading in a great book called Barefoot Church. And the premise of the book is, is a church that is impassionate, just passionate, to reach out to those that are in the community that need help, the poor, the sick, the downtrodden, the beaten up. In this book, it's premised by him, a pastor of a very successful church in Austin, Texas. You know, for Easter Sunday, they ran five services and doing very well. And he went to, needed to get filled up, so he went to a smaller church um, in Austin on that Easter Sunday night with his wife. Now, him and his wife had saved up that Christmas to buy some really nice cowboy boots. And they were, they were nice and expensive. And at the end of this service, the pastor was talking about meeting the needs of the community. And he says, one of the needs of the community is, is shoes, but you see, when people give shoes, they give of their old shoes, their worn-out shoes. These people don't need worn-out shoes. They need good shoes. And so he says, I'm going to give a real practical application. And not everybody needs to do it, but tonight I'm going to ask that tonight you leave your shoes at the altar. You come forward and you leave your shoes here with great consternation <laughs> he comes forward with his wife and they leave their new boots they walk out that night onto the cold concrete with the most powerful of realizations of their calling that they need not be fearful of what they have but rather be quick to give it away are we fearful we hold back we protect we take care of what about in our families? Are we fearful? Are we fearful to let go on our guards. People have been hurt before. They'll hurt me again. What about in our time? Are we fearful that we won't have the time that we need? And so we go back to methods of control. We're fearful of guarding our hearts. We're fearful of being too joyful. What do we know of God? 
Do we fear God with awe and wonder? Or do we fear God that he is sitting there hovering over the smoke button? And if we mess up, if we do the wrong thing, man, he is going to smack us silly. Do we really believe God is glorious? I want you to take a moment and just ponder your life. I guarantee it doesn't take long to think upon what God has done in your life and to not see his glorious work in it. Now, how he has strengthened, touched, encouraged, loved us, taking care of our finances in ways that we never thought possible. In that same book, Barefoot Church, the pastor describes the most glorious times in the church were times that they were down to $1,500 in the checking account. $1,500. I don't know about you, that gives me, my blood pressure goes up. Thinking about that happening, and God forgive me for it, shows where I don't believe God is glorious. He gets a phone call. There's a woman who just had her electricity shut off, and she needs $800 to turn her electricity back on. Payroll's coming up. Turns to his wife as he's writing the check and he says, if we're going to go down, we're going to go down believing God is glorious and God is great, not trying to control. As he sends out that check to that woman, he goes to the box and there's a check for $10,000 for the church. I guarantee you that was an exclamation point. God is glorious. And there's no reason to be afraid. I want to have that kind of faith in this body of believers. I want to have that kind of faith as we handle our finances. I want to have that kind of faith as we talk about the future of what God's going to do in our lives. I want to just have crazy faith that God's going to... There's so many people in this valley. So many. And I've talked about it before. Let's say real life has 300 in attendance today. Let's say North Shore's got like 150 in attendance today. We got about 150, 200 in attendance today. We haven't even begun to touch our valley. They haven't even begun to touch it. How big is our God? How glorious is he? How much does he want his name spread throughout this valley? Well, it'll be determined. Our faith is going to get checked when we come and we talk this afternoon. How big is our faith? How much do we believe God can move and shake? Where are we going to draw the line with God? Where are we going to put him in a box and say, God, you can only be this big. For he desires us to see him for his full glory and full majesty and full might. That he can work and move and for us to stop manipulating and stop controlling and stop being in fear and saying, God, let it go. I want to see you have full reign in my life. And again, I need the brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ in this one. Look at Galatians 5.13. It says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. To freedom! You know, you got William Wallace right on the battlefield grabbing the sword, throwing it out there. Freedom, right? He's willing. Hey, we joke around it, but he's willing to lay his life down so he can have freedom for his country, right? We've been given. It didn't cost us a dime. We've been given freedom, but we still hold ourselves in shackles. We still have ourselves underneath the oppression of sin and shame. When God says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve 
one another. One of the most powerful ways we serve one another is by being involved in each other's life. And so that when I am not viewing God as glorious, you're able to say, Scott, you're living in fear again. And brothers and sisters, I have a problem with that. I went through Celebrate Recovery Step Study. And the biggest thing that came out of that was I have a problem with fear. And it has controlled my life for a lot of years. It has caused me to draw into a lot of sin and going down a lot of paths I shouldn't have gone. I have a problem with idolatry in my life where I say God is glorious, question mark, versus God is glorious. And I need my brothers and sisters to help walk alongside of me and say, where are you living in fear, Scott? Where? And being able to say and to speak into me saying, it's time for you not to live in fear anymore. Repent, confess, and allow God to reign in your life in that area. Christy, my wife, believes God is glorious. She teaches me about the gloriousness of God. A fun way she's taught me about it lately is... um, we're get, our house is sold June 1st. Everything's looking like it's going to go well. We've decided it costs too much money to buy a house, so we're going to build a house because you can build one cheaper than you can buy one. And, but those don't happen overnight, right? They don't just happen, right? Um, <clears throat> if they did, you might question the construction if they did, right? So you want a good house, so it's going to take a little while to build. So hopefully our home will be done the end of August, beginning of September. In the meantime, we've got to have a place to live, right? So... Christy really has got this burden on her heart. Jenny, this is probably partly your fault. To be in our neighborhood this week, this, this summer, okay, this summer. To be in our neighborhood where we're going to be this summer, right? Because she's like, hey, that's when people are out. That's when the chance to meet your neighbors and friends and people around. I want to be in our neighborhood. And I'm starting to go, yeah, whatever. There's no homes for rent in that neighborhood. Oh, but, and, and so I'm, Christy's seeing something here. So she starts finding out through Jenny who is not, you know, vacation kind of rental thing in that neighborhood, who lives there part-time and is not there for the other time, right? And so she starts writing him letters. Hi, you don't know me. I'm a PA. My husband's a pastor in the valley. That may be the killer of that one, but, you know, <laughs> and we, we need a place to rent for a few months while our home is being built. So she starts sending off letters. And I'm going, well, I wonder what people are going to think of us now. We're just, you know. Oh, you're the, you know, when we were actually moved into the neighborhood. Oh, you're the family that wrote those letters. Aren't you a little weird? We've already been over that. Christians are weird, and we've got to come to terms with that. But sure enough, Dr. Polowitz was one of those people she called who's selling his home there. And if his house doesn't sell this weekend, which is a weird way to pray. Do we pray the poor guy's house sells or pray it doesn't sell? I'm actually in a quandary there. But, uh. He's like totally Christy. One of the things is because of Christy's reputation and at work is stellar. I would love for your family to live and to rent our home. It's awesome when our spouses demonstrate the gloriousness and greatness of God to us and help us with our faith increase. It's, it's amazing to see what God does. And I'm just chuckling, going, okay, God, you have a different plan than I had. 
fear is not a part of your plan. It's a part of mine, and I need to deal with it. Do we believe God is great? Do we believe God is glorious? If we do, then let's honestly take a look at ourselves this week in our lives and ask the Holy Spirit, do what he does best and convict our hearts. Reveal to us in our hearts and our lives where we are controlling and keeping things back from God and not surrendering to him and not believing where he's great. Let's honestly ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us where we're living in fear and, and not believing that God is glorious and he can take care of things. You see, it's an incredible and an amazing and a wonderful journey to be a child of God. For you were called to freedom. Freedom. A called to have this life that is abundant and is amazing and it's beyond anything we can imagine. But it begins with just letting him reign completely in it. Now, I'm not promising you the Ferrari or the mansion. I wouldn't actually wish that upon you. Because... <laughs> I want you to trust God in all areas of your life. And from the president of Interstate Batteries, who's on the Dallas Theological Seminary Board, talks about his struggles with remaining dependent on God when he's so wealthy. So his solution to that is, is to try to outgive God. <laughs> and he gives a lot of money away. A lot. Brothers and sisters, I hope you understand. This sermon this morning may convict your hearts, but I hope it also lifts them and encourages them because it's about who God is. We can be discipled in all of life. We can allow God to have full access. We can allow our neighbors, or excuse me, our brothers and sisters in Christ to have full access to our life because of who God is. He's glorious and he's great. And as we disciple others, and as others disciple us, may we be examples of God's greatness and gloriousness. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who I look out and I see their eyes and I see their hearts and I see that they're their desire to live for you, desire to see you be great in every area of their life, to let go of control, the desire to see you be glorious in their lives and not fear. Oh, Father God, as it was stated in Scripture, Lord, help us in our unbelief. Help us cast down our idols. Help us trust in you more help us help each other believe that you're the God who teaches us you're the God who gives us faith and belief and you're the God that gives us powerful daily experiences as we walk along with you Lord we want every area of our life to be discipled by you. We love you, Jesus. Help us love you more.
and more perfectly. In Jesus' name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.